it's been several years now when I met a man at a small restaurant in Mobile, Alabama. It was one of those hole-in-the-wall places. Great food, but the accommodations were cramped, to say the least. We were shoved off into a corner. I could hardly get down into the seat. I'll call him Daniel. He was a successful attorney in town, and some years before, he had received Christ as Savior. He was born again, and he knew it, and he was lit on fire. He couldn't believe that God had forgiven his sins. They were so many, and yet now he was forgiven. And so he wanted to tell everybody about Jesus, and he did. He was at church all the time. He was singing with joy until he wasn't, until he wasn't. Weeks passed, and then a few months, and it began to dawn on him that though his life had changed, there were some things about his life that hadn't changed all that much. And he was conscious of his own shortcomings. He wanted so badly to serve God, to serve God faithfully, and yet, and yet, and yet, he would sin, he would fall short, and he found that when he went to church, instead of feeling great joy, he felt reminded of his sin. When he tried to pray, that early sense of being released from a heavy burden, it returned right back to him because how could he fail the God who loved him so very much? His life as a Christian had begun with joy, but it had become a slog. It had become, it had become a kind of long penitence when he was constantly aware of his shortcomings. Now, if I don't miss my bet, there are Christians here this morning who feel just like that, who feel just like that. Or some perhaps don't because they just try real hard to block out some of the areas of their lives where they're not living as God would have them live. But you had enthusiasm and joy and a sense of freedom once, but not so much anymore. And so when you come to church, it's not always a joyful thing. You know, there are people who are not Christians that avoid church not because they think it's unimportant, but because they think that it's not for someone like them to darken the doors of the building because they are a sinner. We have a hard time dealing with our sin, even when we deny it, especially when we deny it. We have a hard time with our sin. We deny it because we have a hard time with it. There's a strange, strange story in the Old Testament. Israel was traveling through the wilderness. And of course, you know the story. They were rebelling against God on occasion after occasion. And they finally reach a point where they speak against Moses. They speak against God. They are angry. God had delivered them from Egypt, but now it seemed like it'd be better just to go back to Egypt. And the Bible says that God responded by sending snakes among the people, venomous snakes, and they bit the people. Some died. Moses prayed to God for the people, and God said, make a snake out of bronze. Form 
this snake out of bronze and attach it to a pole and lift it high. And everyone who looks upon the snake will be healed. And so Moses did as he was commanded. And he lifted up the bronze snake. And sure enough, all who looked upon it were healed. But think what they were looking upon. They were looking upon that which bit them. They were looking upon a symbol of their punishment, and not just of their punishment, but also of their sin, because in the Hebrew way of seeing things, sin and its punishment, apart from the intervention of God, are inseparable. The Hebrew word for sin or iniquity is avon. There are other words, but this is one of the most common ones, avon. It means, as I say, sin and iniquity, but sometimes it can be translated punishment because sin and punishment go right together. Apart from God, they're inseparable. So, for example, Esau, when he's punished by God by being exiled to the land of the east, He cries out and he says, my avon is more than I can bear. Most of your translations will say, my punishment is more than I can bear. But also his sin, you can't separate the sin and the punishment. My sin, my iniquity is more than I can bear. And that's true for all of us. Sin is very, very real and it's more than we can bear. So Israel looks at the bronze serpent on the pole that Moses lifted up, and they see their punishment, but they see their sin. And only as they look upon it by the command of God are they healed. The good news is they are healed. Look upon it. See the reality. But see it and be healed. Look and be saved. That's what God through Moses tells the people. Over a thousand years later, the sun has set. It's nighttime. And a Jewish scholar, admired by all the people, steps out of darkness into the presence of the light of life, into the presence of Jesus. And they begin a conversation. Jesus tells this scholar, Nicodemus, that you must be born of the Spirit to enter the kingdom of God. You have to open your life to the power of God that comes within and transforms you. Jesus acknowledges this is a mysterious experience. The Holy Spirit comes as the Holy Spirit will. But then he says something really important. How can we be born again? John 3, 14, just As Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Jesus Christ on the cross bears our sin and therefore our punishment. What we deserve fell upon him. And Jesus says, that anyone who looks upon him, the one who is lifted up like the bronze serpent on the pole, will see their punishment and will see their sin on Christ, but by looking, they will be healed. They will be saved. 
know, Christianity never shortchanges the sinfulness of sin and never flatters us with the idea that we are not sinners. But it doesn't teach sin as the final reality. It doesn't tell us to focus on sin as the final reality. Instead, we are told to see it at the cross. That's where the iniquity of humanity is perfectly revealed, right there at the cross. And the cross itself is a saving moment, a saving event. It's through the cross that we can be saved if we look. To look is to believe. It's to look to Jesus as the Savior. All who believe in him, looking to him, the one who's lifted up, will be saved. You know, John's the only one who speaks of the cross as a lifting up. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they speak of the cross as the low point, you might say. That's the point at which this horrible injustice was perpetrated. And God reverses the crucifixion of Jesus in the resurrection. It's in the resurrection that he is glorified. Now, that's true. All that's true, and John would never say it's not true, but he wants to emphasize a different truth, a complementary truth. It fits with Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but it adds another element. Because for John, Jesus is lifted up on a kind of throne when he's on the cross. The cross is not the low point reversed by the resurrection, but the cross is the first stage in the exaltation of the Son of God. The cross where Jesus bears our sins and our punishment, that cross is the beginning of his glorification. And so, in John chapter 12, Jesus is entering Jerusalem. It's what we call Palm Sunday. The people are throwing branches in front of Jesus to, to carpet the way into Jerusalem. It's only John, by the way, that tells us they lay out palm branches. That's where we get the name, Palm Sunday. It comes straight from John. The people are excited. They are, they are thinking this may be Messiah. Hosanna, they cry out. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But Jesus comes not like an ordinary king. He comes humble on a donkey, and he comes riding in. The crowd rushes out to him, so much so the Jewish authorities say, the whole world has gone after him. And then Jesus is told, some Greeks have come, and they want to speak with Jesus. Perhaps they were there getting ready for Passover. Perhaps they were Hellenistic Jews. They want to speak to Jesus. And that seems to signal to the Lord something has happened. The moment has come. Listen to what he says, John 12, 23. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. The hour has come to be glorified. What's he talking about? This hour. The hour is the time of his death. It's the cross. The hour has come to be glorified on the cross as he's lifted up before the world. Skipping down to verse 31. Now is the time 
for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. Jesus conquers at the cross. What does he conquer? He conquers our sin. He atones for our sin. He takes our punishment that we might be free. And he would not have any of us think of our sin and our shortcomings apart from his cross. That's what Daniel told me in the restaurant. He said, what I didn't understand, he was coming back to Christ after after years of drifting away in discouragement. He was coming back to follow Christ, and he said, I didn't understand the cross. Now, he could have said, I didn't understand grace, but he said cross, and that's important because you can't separate grace and the cross, the cross and grace. You want to know God's grace for you? It's not by denying sin. It's by showing us sin in a saving act of grace. Jesus bearing it on himself that we don't have to. What a tremendous word that is. Jesus is glorified by dying on the cross for us. He's glorified in that. You know, many of you are parents, not everyone I know, but even if you're not, you can, you can imagine yourself into this situation. You're a parent, you have a child, your child's in trouble. Maybe it's come upon them through no fault of their own. Maybe they've brought it on themselves. But it doesn't matter to you. If they're willing to accept your help, you will move heaven and earth to intervene on their behalf. There is nothing you won't do. There is nothing you won't give. There is no effort you won't make to save your child. That is not acting against your parental heart. That is an expression of your parental heart. When God forgives us through Jesus Christ, It's not God acting against his holy nature that really wants to strike out at us. No, it is God glorifying himself as the loving, gracious God who wants to save. And so he is glorified in your salvation. He is not glorified by your self-condemnation. He is not glorified by by your reminders to yourself of how far you fall short. He is glorified when you throw that aside and you say, God, I thank you that you have borne my sin. We're going to share the Lord's Supper. Think of it as Christ being lifted up on his throne, lifted up to save us all. Amen.